Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello. I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for joining us. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Check it out. It is the ultimate in commercial broker training. Uh, you learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Today we're talking about the multifamily market, and uh, you know, multifamily was certainly on a on a great ride for geez for a long time. You know, what is it? Ten years, I think. And uh, you know, there's been great news there. But what is the current news? I mean, we've went through a weird uh, time here with COVID. Uh, how is it impacting, uh, impacting collections? How is it impacting values? How is it, in collecting, how's it impacting tenant traffic? Well, let's learn some more from the experts. Please welcome my guest, Carl Whitaker. He's manager of market analytics with RealPage. Carl, uh, good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. Always a pleasure. Thank you for reaching out and good to talk to you again. Well, I guess my first question is is uh, that I think my audience would want to know about really is about collections. Uh, you know, here we are. It's uh, close to the end of October. Uh, what are you seeing for collections around the, around the country? Yeah, so on collections, we think uh, I, th I think generally the the sentiment is just overall surprised that collections have held as steady as they have since March. You know, we've. We've seen in most months, you know, uh, let's call it a 200 basis point drop on a year over year comparison, but collections are still at about 95% across the nation. So pretty good collection rates. People are pleased with that. There was a little concern coming into September because the, the CARES Act had expired in the end of July. So I think some people were worried that there would be some deterioration or some fatigue heading into the, the late uh, summer months. But uh, overall, September numbers looked good. And, you know, there's still some contingencies upon what happens with the election and, you know, an upcoming stimulus package, how quick the economy recovers. So still some unknowns as you go forward through the end of year and into the beginning of next. But all said, over the past six months or so, I think a lot of folks are pretty pleased with how well collection rates have been coming in. Are you seeing different... Um success with collections based on the class of the properties? Definitely. So what we've seen thus far is class A and class B holding pretty steady with in conjunction with one another. Class C collections uh, down, you know, let's call it 30 or 300 rather to 500 basis points under those two other product classes. So definitely, definitely some difference in collections by class. Okay. And what do you see for uh, occupancy, Carl, around the country and, uh, and then do you, can you differentiate occupancy from, from uh, economic occupancy? If people are paying, I know there's some moratoriums in some places for evictions. Yeah, that question is one that we've been getting a lot lately. It's in the, the five, five or so years I've been at RealPage, I've never heard anybody ask about economic occupancy versus in-place occupancy until the past few months. But I think it makes sense to to bring that into the discussion more and more um, as there's so many, as you point out, uh, eviction moratoriums and just concerns with what that looks like. But I think overall, looking at our occupancy rates, uh, we recorded occupancy is still above 95.5% in third quarter. Uh, that was boosted by a really strong third quarter for demand. Now, you do have some markets that occupancy has deteriorated quite a bit over the past year. And I'll uh, call out some of the, the gateway markets in particular where you've seen that. But really, overall, I think, you know, 95.5% occupancy or so is pretty a, a pretty good underpinning for what the industry is doing right now. 
And what are the uh, winners and, and the market struggling on occupancy? So the struggling markets, it's it's fascinating. You would think that it's going to be some of the Sunbelt metros, you know, especially those that have a more affordable single family. I think a lot of folks were concerned that there'd be a lot of move outs to the single family uh, home market. But overall, really, outside of a few, you know, generally lower occupancy markets like Houston, it's really those gateway markets that we've seen as the quote unquote losers over the past year. And I'll call out San Francisco in particular, where historically looking at occupancy 96, 97% and third quarter occupancy came in below 93%, which was the lowest in the nation or at least among the major markets. So that kind of gives you an idea of the scale of challenges at some of those expensive coastal or gateway metros. Yeah. And it's interesting that we, we talk about occupancy being uh, the worst uh, in the country at 93% in the multifamily uh, when uh, I think office and retail would uh, really like 93%. <laughs> yeah, I think most folks would be really pleased with 93% and some other product classes. Yeah. And what about uh, rental rates, uh, Carl? This has to be impacting uh, rental rates around the country. So interestingly enough, it hasn't been impacting rental rates to the degree that, again, that I think some folks had feared back in March or April. The real difference that we're seeing, and you'll probably hear me say this almost ad nauseum uh, today, but the real difference we're seeing is that it's, again, those gateway markets that are seeing big cuts. I mean, we're talking double-digit rent cuts in New York, Boston, San Fran, L.A. But when you look at the interior metros, particularly those in the Midwest and a lot of the um, less development burdened uh, southern metros like Greensboro, Memphis, et cetera, we're actually seeing rents still being pushed at, you know, two to three percent year over year. So there's still rent growth in part of the country. Maybe that's not where it was the same time last year, but the overall U.S. rent growth is at negative one percent or so. If you take out the gateway metros, you're probably at one positive one percent for the nation. So, yeah. That's interesting. At my shop here, we we sell properties around the southeast, and uh, you know we have an apartment group, office group, and retail group. And it's interesting to to look at the differences uh, in the uh, property types uh, when you know the tide goes out. Uh, and one of the things that uh, one of our clients once said that owned a lot of retail, office, and multifamily said, "You know, Michael, uh, office and retail get a little bit more complicated, but multifamily, hey, if the tide goes out, you lower the rents, keep your occupancy up. It's just real simple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about uh, tenant demand. Uh, you know, as we've went through some of these shutdowns around the country, uh, a lot of markets uh, are, have been opening up or are opened up. Uh, what are you seeing for tenant demand and traffic? We've actually seen traffic uh, really pick up over the past, let's call it three to three to four months. And if you look at a graph, and, and perhaps this is something we can provide after the after the discussion, but uh, if you look at a graph of traffic from March to April, it was down, you know, let's call it fifty percent year over year. But then once May came around, we were actually seeing more traffic than we saw the same time last year. Um, and, and, and as a matter of fact, in third quarter, that translated to one of the strongest third quarters for demand that we've ever seen. Now, again, it's still, if you think of it, it's like a, like a construction site and there's that big hole being filled from March to April. We're still not back to quote unquote ground level, but that third quarter demand was just such a great number that um, I think it was more of a, a short-term hiccup driven by COVID than it was some 
mid to long-term concern with overall demand patterns. Okay. And let's talk about demand patterns. Are, are you noticing any trends from maybe people moving out of, of uh, central business district, moving to suburbs? Are you seeing people move from smaller units to larger units? Uh, any trends you're seeing? So the biggest trend we've seen is, again, that gateway metro uh, or the, the gateway markets just hemorrhaging occupancy and losing losing a lot of occupancy basically overnight. That's come at the benefit of some of the Sunbelt metros or perhaps some of the more affordable uh, metros nearby those expensive gateway markets. Now, what else we've seen, too, is that it does appear that efficiencies are getting hit the hardest in terms of occupancy. Now, we are seeing two and three bedrooms, probably not getting quite the boost that some may have thought a few months ago, but generally speaking, twos and threes are holding on fairly well. One bedrooms is kind of a crapshoot. I think it really depends on the size of those one bedrooms. Um, and, and, you know, just my, my gut feeling is that the smaller one bedrooms are probably losing a little bit more occupancy than the larger one bedrooms. But then you get into a balance of, well, what about the price difference? Because if you're a one bedroom, and even though renters aren't thinking in a per square foot basis, but um, you know, if you've got a one bedroom that the rent per square foot isn't that much different than a two bedroom, then I think a renter is probably going to choose that two bedroom if they're working from home just to give them some separation of, of home and work. Yeah, and in some past uh, downturns, Carl, we've seen maybe B properties uh, kind of benefit from a downturn when people move maybe from, from A to B. Uh, are you seeing anything like that? So that was one of our theses coming into the downturn was that B class B was probably in a pretty good spot, not only because class A is, you know, obviously more expensive, but class C historically tends to get hit really hard in recessions. Now, so far, we have seen that class B is holding the steadiest, but We've been a little surprised that Class C is holding on fairly steady, too. Now, I think there's, again, some contingencies there on how quick the economy can recover. Um, also, just what happens with the, you know, any forthcoming stimulus packages. So I think there's a little vulnerability in Class C to lose occupancy. Uh, Class A occupancy, however, has dropped off the most so far. And what I think what's driving that is a combination of moving to affordable product. If you're a you know, Class A renter, perhaps doubling up with a B uh, or doubling up with a buddy of yours in a Class B unit. And especially in markets like Atlanta or Dallas, where you and I are based, of course, I think you do have some additional risk or what we're seeing is some actual move outs to single family if it's a market where single families, you know, within reach of a class A rent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. We're talking with Carl Whitaker with RealPage about the multifamily market. And uh, what is the impact of all of this, Carl, on new supply? What are you seeing for new construction? So amazingly, it looks like the, the construction pipeline is actually going to pick up over the next year. So as of as a third quarter on a trailing four quarter basis, we had about 300,000 units deliver. And that's not terribly out of line with what we've seen over the past four or five years. Um, but in, in over the next year in 2021, still, still having a hard time getting used to saying 2021, but um, in 2021, we're expecting over 400,000 new units to deliver across the nation. So there will be some supply delays. That number is going to fluctuate a little bit. But even if you used an assumption saying that 
just 10% of those units delay into 2022, you're still at 300 and let's call it 350, 360,000 units. So 2021 looks like a banner year for new supply. Um, now beyond that, I think there's again going to be some questions with, is there more of an appetite for single family building? How does that impact multifamily building? Uh, do rents stay compressed long enough that it doesn't justify new development? I think it'll be 2022, 2023 before we see if that actually plays out. But overall, I think developers feel good about the demand story for multifamily. So we're seeing overall supply hold pretty steady and in fact increase next year. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Does that surprise you? It does. It, it definitely does. If you break it out on a market by market basis, it's a little less surprising because a lot of the markets that have been pretty solid thus far are some of the ones that see an uptick next year. Uh, the one, the the markets that I would be a little bit concerned about, however, would be some of those gateway markets. And I'm going to pick on Los Angeles real quick, where 2021 is going to have something like 18,000 new units delivered. The previous decade average in any given year was something like 7,000 units. So you've got two or three years worth of typical supply levels delivering in just one year in 2021. So those would be the markets that I'm a, that I'm a little concerned about. But yeah, I think just generally speaking, the, the fact that development hasn't yet pulled back is probably a little surprising considering the economic backdrop. Well, Los Angeles, they'll need uh, the new supply. You know, if they're going to, they won the NBA title. And if uh, if they can win the World Series, there's going to be people who want to be in Los Angeles. Yeah, for sure. Well, how is all this impacting uh, sales volume and cap rates? Are you seeing a trend yet on uh, multifamily cap rates uh, through through 2020 so far? It's funny you ask that because if you look at the, you would think cap rates would be a function of demand and supply, how many people are looking to buy a unit or buy properties, how many people are looking to sell those. And what we're seeing is that the transaction volumes have gone down quite a bit year over year. You know, you're looking at most markets down 30 to 40% in terms of total deals transacting and then subsequently the dollar volume being transacted. But when you look at cap rates, they're still holding pretty stubborn at about what we've seen in the past three or four years. Now, it's still a little early days to see if that'll uh, start to decompress over the next few quarters, but overall cap rates are about where they've been for the past two to three years now, even though inventory, or I'm sorry, even though um, uh, sales volume has gone down about 30%. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Well, what do you expect, Carl, for uh, 2021? Uh, what sticks out in your mind that uh, the apartment industry should think about uh, related to anything we talked about today? So we just went through our most recent round of forecast updates and something that was maybe a little surprising to me, but I think makes sense based off that third quarter demand number is we're actually forecasting most markets to return to positive rent growth by the end of next year. Now, there are a few trouble spots, New York, L.A., um, you know, Orlando, some of these markets that either are expensive or markets that have some have perhaps even more pronounced economic challenges. Um, some of those we have in negative territory, uh, let's call it through the first part of 2022. But generally speaking, most markets should return into positive rent change on a year over year basis, at least by the end of next year. Uh, we think occupancy holds pretty steady. You know, again, I, I think I've used this example before, but had somebody told you 10 years ago 
that apartment occupancy would be at 95% plus in a recession and considering the fact that 2.3 million units have been delivered over that decade, you know, somebody would have escorted you out of the room. Nobody would have believed you, but, you know, we're still forecasting occupancy to hold it, you know, let's call it 94 and a half, 95% and rent change slowly, but eventually returning into positive territory by the end of next year. Yeah. It's, they really would have carried you out of the room if uh, you also added pandemic, uh, yeah. world shutdown, uh, huge unemployment. Uh, what? No, you're crazy. Get out of here, right? <laughs> All right. Well, Carl, great information as usual, sir. Thank you for joining us. Perfect. Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure. If you'd like some more information, uh, check out realpage.com slash analytics. There's some more information. Hey, thank you for joining us around the country. Let us know what you think. We appreciate hearing from you and connecting with you on your social, favorite social media. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Vista Property Report slash CRE Show. Incredible analysis using smartphone technology. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at CommercialAgentSuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.